this is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rushan Senanayak. Hey guys, we've got a social story here at Iona College, and today we're going to be talking with Daniel Davison, the head of department for design and innovation here responding to the call of arms for the Hurston Biofabrication Institute. And uh, they've produced over 6,000 masks for the COVID-19 pandemic and assembled 28 different 3D printers, six of them being borrowed and call to arms have been an amazing collaboration and they've done an incredible feat here. So let's find out more details. With an incredible career in education, Daniel Davidson, he is the head of department for design and innovation, including industrial technology, design, aerospace, digital technology, here at Iona College. Mate, welcome to Inspiring Design. All right, mate. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your story here at Iona? What's been your history leading up to today? Um, so I've been uh, head of design innovation at Iona for uh, about 18 months now, since I started 2019. Yeah. Uh, before that, I worked in the state system uh, just down the road at Brisbane Bayside State College. Uh, I got a lot of education there as a teacher and um, was fortunate to get this role here. Awesome. And um, I, I understand that you've been at Iona for a relatively a short period of time so far? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, yeah, since the start of last year. Awesome. And um, so let's jump straight into it. You're, we're surrounded by a ridiculous amount of 3D printers. Tell us a little bit about what's going on here. What's, uh, what's led up to this point with... Um, with what we're seeing in the background here? Uh, just leading into the end of term one, um, when the COVID sort of pandemic was, uh, it was pre its peak, um, schools had just, just announced they were closing. Uh, uh, the Hurston Biofabrication Institute, which works out of the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital, um, they've, got a, they've got sort of a research arm there. I think they work with QUT as well. Yep. Um, they, had a, they put a social media post out uh, looking for anyone with 3D printing capability to um, uh, start producing these these face shield frames. Yeah. Um, uh, heaps of schools got behind it. I got uh, I think on the Thursday before school finished, um, I got maybe four people had posted it to me, uh, or tagged me in it and said, "Hey, are you yeah. interested in this?" Um, I sort of stomped around the place on Thursday, thought about it for a little bit, and then Friday morning I got up early and right, right, we're doing this. Yeah. Uh, walked in. Um, we still we'd only had uh, we had 14 printers on site, but only. Only like eight of them were assembled because mm -hmm. we're, we're sort of building some um, facilities for them. Um, so I rounded up a bunch of people, put together some new printers, uh, called up my, a friend of mine down at uh, Brisbane Bayside State College and uh, asked if like they'd be happy to lend us their printers mm -hmm. um, and just sort of figured out the logistics and just got on with it and then started printing the frames right away. Um, uh, by, the, by the Saturday morning, uh, I'd... Um, I'd contacted the lady at uh, the Biofabrication Institute and because they're, you know, they're working in a government building, she didn't get back to me till Monday, so we'd already made around 2,000 frames. Wow. Um, <laughs> oh, and actually by that stage, it was only about 1,000. But, um, yep. And I said, hey, look, uh, you've asked for 3,000 in three weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, we're probably going to be able to produce that every maybe five days. Wow. Can you handle that volume? Yep. And then she rang up and she was like super excited. She's like, I'm in my boss's office. <laughs> He's really excited. Like, uh, like, how are you able to do this? I'm like, oh, well, I've got 26 printers set up. Um, you know, we're just punching them out. Like I'll bring some over and just make sure they're actually going to work. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, so after I had everything set up, it took you know days to Friday, Saturday, Sunday to set up. Late Saturday, Sunday evening, I sent the principal and the uh, and the rector an email just saying, hey, just just occurred to me, I should probably let you know something that's happening in the school. Yeah. Um, you know, here's here's a link. Uh, the reason I'm doing it, I just think it's something we can do. Like we've got the facilities, yada, yada, yada. And the rector who lives on site came down and saw me and he goes, you know what? I really, really liked that you did it and then asked for permission. It's like, you just got on with it, got it underway. And then you're like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Ask for forgiveness, not permission, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in, in, in my role here, it's a little bit easier to be able to make uh, independent decisions, but uh, but it sort of clicked with me. I'm like, I do that a lot. Yeah. Uh, no, look, I love that. And I think this kind of social um, collaboration, bringing together different stakeholders, you've done an incredible job. So obviously this is, even though it's, it's been your, I think, brainchild, it, um, you can't achieve this kind of thing with collaboration. So who's been involved with this type of feat? And, um, you know, everything from your school to external collaborators, um, who's part of the team? Um, my, my connection down with a school I used to work at, Brisbane Bayside State College, they're only about a kilometre and a half away from Iona. Mm -hmm. uh, the relationship there hasn't always been fantastic as uh, private school and state school sometimes are. Mm -hmm. uh, but with a colleague who works down there, he was able to lend me six of their printers. Um, and I just thought it was fantastic. And, and since school's returned, we've, um, you know, we've been down there, we've had some photos with our students and their students. We've uh, shared it on social media as this, you know, really capitalizing on that idea of collaboration. And um, uh, I just really love the idea that it doesn't, like in this sort of situation, it doesn't matter that you're a private school or a state school, like, like we can all be doing something. Yeah. Um, and so that collaboration is actually gonna grow over time now. And I think that's the beauty of it. This is, this is the power of collaboration. You, you see the public sector and private sector, instead of being isolated in your own different corners, I think coming together shows what we can do. And I think I wanted to ask you before, what was, how many masks have you made so far? Um, after the first sort of week, uh, where I was really calibrating all the machines and getting the, getting the system down right, uh, we, were, we were making around 700 a day wow. of disposable masks. Yep. Um, they were printing uh, 35 high stacks and they were printing back to back. So over, over a two day, I think it was about 50 hour print, mm -hmm. it was printing 70 um, uh, frames across all the printers yep. is where we get about 700 frames um, uh, in, in every day. Um, we transitioned to reusable masks uh, about three weeks ago. Yep. And they take a bit longer to print. They're about five times as, uh, as long to print. So we're making maybe 200 of those a day now. Awesome. But these printers have been running 24 hours a day since the 4th of April. Yeah. This right now is the first time they've been turned off for um, five weeks. Yeah. Wow. That's, so that's an incredible amount in a very, very short period of time. And I, I think that's, that's, again, shows the power of technology and collaboration and an, a single idea coming into play to make a massive impact for people. And uh, given the time period where we've had, you know, everyone was scared to find masks, this is a huge opportunity. I think um, so... Let's go into the details, right? And I wanna walk through and understand the mindset behind firstly understanding how to come up with this type of thing. You know, not everyone has ideas and are able to execute things really quickly, really effectively like this sometimes. So for the listeners, you know, tuning in, especially considering they're in the education sector, what was the mindset? What went through your head? What was that thought process that led you up to, you know, walking through identifying a problem and then coming up with a solution, and then essentially taking that through to execution using the technology that's available. Um, I think I think the attitude leading in, leading into it is just uh, it's just like just do it. 
it's a it's a thing we can do. Yeah. Um, you know, like like I I knew that many schools had sort of three or four printers. Yeah. Uh, did the math quickly in my head and went, well, geez, like my volume, I, I can I can be doing as much as five or six schools, and that's that's not a that's not a brag. That's mm. a um, like like if I if I can, I should. Um, connecting it, this technology to the to the real world, like I like after getting the project going, um, you know, like you start thinking about it quite a bit and going, geez, the, the kids could learn a lot from this. Yep. When the students return and like after posting things on social media and things like that, I was getting four or five emails a day from students who were in my class, students that weren't in my class, family members from around the community. Um, like our Facebook posts that first went up had like 2,000 likes and, and, and over 1,000 shares. Wow. And, the, and the messages that were coming through, it was just bringing so much hope to the community. Like, um, so, so I think once this project is finished uh, and the students return, we'll be able to use this quite a bit as a, as a learning opportunity to go, hey, look, you might be designing like very simple things at school, very um, uh, trivial or, or prototypes or, or toys even, mm. but the connection this technology has in your brain to, to the real world to go, um, like, like a 3D printer works this way and hey, look, there's this, uh, there's this deployable container that can be dropped into Haiti after an earthquake and, and all it needs is a hose to a, um, to a, to a dirty river and someone to, to shovel some mud in and they can make temporary housing yeah. while they rebuild their community. Like that's a 3D printer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and kids start to sort of mm. see that connection. Absolutely, and I think it, it sends them a huge message about what kind of a simple idea can do and they're, they're just gonna follow. I think you're, you, you're affecting the mindsets of that next generation on how they look at a social point of view because there's no profit purpose in the forefront here and I think that's one of the reasons I love this story is because it's coming together at a time of need, solving a real world problem. Now, let's walk through that next point. In terms of the technology, what software packages did you use? Um, for this particular project, they, they gave us the uh, STLs, the design files uh, to use. Yeah. Um, there's a few different options. At first, you, uh, you just chose which one worked best sure. for your machines. Yeah. Um, and, and they came out of the University of Melbourne and um, uh, the Perusa, mm -hmm. um, like uh, their workshop, they've been, they've been making the same masks as well. These actually have Perusa written on the side of them. Yeah. Um, the, the software, like, like I, I definitely would have been able to design these if, we're, if I was asked to, but the, because they, uh, they were dealing with the logistics of it, they need it to be a particular way when they get there. We just went with their file. Mm -hmm. um, it came as a single file. Mm -hmm. So using, um, I used an open source uh, slicing software for 3D printing called Cura, mm -hmm. although there's many other ones that you can use uh, to be able to stack them mm -hmm. so that we can print them um, overnight and keep them running. Like, you know, don't have to come in and press restart constantly, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, that software has so many options, so many features that you can uh, you can tweak and, and customize. And there's there's massive communities online mm -hmm. uh, of people that you know, hey, look, I want to I want to do this, or my, my printer's doing that, and people give you these suggestions and, and help you tweak things. Yeah. Um, that 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 step in that process was actually really powerful, having so many printers because. Uh, you know, even just the even just the gap between each of the layers to make sure that they were easy to disassemble, but still, um, um, you know, still sealed. Uh, because if they're they're not sealed, they're not going to get cleaned properly and things like that. Yeah. So I was able to test sort of you know uh, 0.05 millimeter differences uh, across 15 printers in an hour yeah. to go. This one didn't. This one didn't. This one didn't. Hey, this one separates. Now these ones are too far apart. Yeah. And go okay and whittle that down to go. This is the gap I need to use. Yeah. 
Um, whereas if you only had one or two printers, that might take a day or two to be able to, uh, to, to get that sort of level of, mm. um, I guess, customization. Absolutely. And I think I'll, I'll, I'm smiling while you're talking because I think that um, process you've gone through to quickly test, you know, just to find that millimeter differences on the most optimal thing. And, and that's the problem solving critical thinking in a creative way using the technology that's so important. And even the fact that, you know, thinking about it going, you know, we, we need to stack this so that they can run overnight and produce as much time as uh, much products as possible as in less time as possible. I think that's, it feels like it's automated, automated in your head, but those are the little elements I think that teachers really need to focus on uh, when, they're, when they're translating design into that next generation because when it becomes automatic, we then problem solve very quickly on the go, really fast, like you've done. That's great. And um, so taking this from here, what's that next step um, from, from, uh, from this point onward? Are you guys looking at producing an X number by an X date? Uh, the need for this product is actually starting to slow down because mm -hmm. obviously the like restrictions it's, 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 being lifted. Yeah, restrictions being lifted. Um, we didn't quite hit the or the or the peak that 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 curve um, flattened very quickly for us. But which obviously as a country we are incredibly happy. Uh, the the contact we've got with these these went into clinical trials. Yeah. Um, at the uh, fever clinic at the uh, the Brisbane Hospital there. Um, a lot of these will get used eventually. Yep. That may not be right now. It may not be um, uh, for this particular purpose. But the the big thing is that they they like the, that biofabrication institute now has all their QA processes in line. Like mm -hmm. they know how to respond quickly and what things need to be checked to be able to to like if if this uh, a pandemic hit again in five years time, you know, a completely different one. Which, which it tends to happen, yeah. Like, yeah. And, they, and they could ring up schools and go, hey, this is how you need to do it. These are the sort of settings you need. This is how you um, assess for your quality and that sort of thing. And they know how quickly they can expect them back. Mm, absolutely. And have you ever thought about taking this beyond Australia? <laughs> um, well, actually, like, there's communities around the world that are printing these. So uh, some yeah. of the forums that I engage on, like, you know, there'll be, uh, there'll be people with these same printers in the UK and they're printing um, uh, mask savers, which put a... Uh, keep the elastic bands for masks yes. off the ears. Yep. They'll be they're printing the exact same frames in the UK. Yep. Uh, all their maker spaces and things like that are like becoming little hubs where they're collecting and sorting and um, uh, you know making the shields and, and sharing all that information. Like like it was it was it was really it's really exciting to be a part of that like in that front end of the wave mm. um, to have a stake in it, not just to be sitting back and reading about it, True. which, you know, you do for a lot of things as a design teacher too, you sometimes time, uh, time poor. Mm. Um, so to be looking at that and people, you know, people will be like, Hey, where are you getting the stuff to make the front shield out of? And people will be like, I'm cutting up Coke bottles. Like, and they'll oh. go, Oh, okay, well that's made a PETG. I can buy then a sheet and then yeah. I can cut it down. Then all of a sudden PETG is like, impossible to buy like yeah. i tried to buy some last <laughs> week and it's like you can't get it in uh, brisbane at the moment um nor can you get you know six mil acrylic because they've made all the sneeze guards yeah. uh but then people start reverting to uh overhead projection sheets and and all these different materials which uh like it's it's just that like it's just it's the like immediate yeah, yeah but it's the immediacy of the in improvise like improvisation and innovation like like that was i found that really inspiring to to teaching like Absolutely, and I think that's 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 what the important thing here is, and uh, that, which leads me to my next question. Actually, what do you think are the key skill sets that are required that have undergone in this process? If you were to break it down, that educators can then focus on, you know, honing down those skills with their kids. 
don't be afraid of failure. Like people get very caught up in uh, in trying to get it perfect the first time. I think you you refer to it as uh, for, failing forward. Yes. Um, like embrace it. Mm-hmm. You know, know that that's part of the process. Like look for it and go, hey, look, I'm, like this is probably where it's going to fail, and then be excited when it does. I mean, even in the fact that 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 part you mentioned about testing the the gap, how many times would you have failed and you got one right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly, yeah. And that one now sits across all of the packages, and that's that's what you need. You need that one percent. It doesn't matter how many times you failed; you've got it right. So sorry to interrupt. Let's keep that's going. That's right. <laughs> um, a lot of like you know, working with us, working with state schools and things like that as well. A lot of people sit behind sort of a cost barrier, I guess. Um, yeah. And 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 a lot of times that's 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 true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes it's a, it can be you know a, a, an excuse or a, a reason not to do something um like pick pick your price point these mm-hmm. these printers here are 300 dollars each yeah um you know if if i was at a state school and we, we bought one a year for five years so there's there's five there now mm-hmm. um like you know laser cutters are dropping in price uh, most most technology is getting cheaper mm-hmm. you know almost like moore's law but not really um, and if and if you know funding is a big issue, reach out to businesses. Reach out to like most most big businesses will have a community you know community grant scheme. Yeah. Um, you know, usually the the bigger impact they have environmentally on the world is the more money that they'll give to, to schools. <laughs> like I found that in the past. Yeah. Um, like like find those opportunities. Ask people. We uh, when when I started this project. Uh, the first thing I knew was I'm going to need a lot of filament. We you know I bought 200 rolls of filament. That's we got an incredible discount for volume, but. Mm. Um, uh, that stuff's not cheap. Like you know, I just started calling up some businesses that I had a vague connection with, or mm-hmm. or connection with the school, and said, "Hey, look, this is what I'm doing," and and um, was able to generate a bit of money there to be able to to buy the filament and um, yeah. you know make sure that the the cost stayed reasonably neutral. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it. You're coming up with ideas, kind of like a startup almost. You know, these are entrepreneurial skills that um, that are just framed into a social context through through the, through this pandemic, but. Uh, essentially, what you've done is capital raise and and come up with some startup funds so that you can implement a prototyping version and meet that minimum requirement through what we call an M- MVP, you know, a minimum viable product. And this is great. I love that. And you've just reached out to businesses. You've cold called, you know, the slightest bit of if you had a business card, that's almost enough. And I love that. So sorry, let's keep going. I'm, I'm just excited. <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. Um, I use that term as well with the uh, the minimum viable product and things. And and the conversations I've had with people is just like, you know, they talk about what's the what's the mean the biggest thing. And I'm like, it blows my mind the scale that you're able to work at. It feels yeah. like a business. It feels like feels like this is something that you would do in an industry, not in a school. Absolutely. Um, and then and the people in our community sort of see that well and go, like, wow, that's amazing that you're able to do that much. Like, um, mm. uh, and that's you know that's been that's been really great. Um, uh, some more advice that I'd probably give is uh, you know just ignore naysayers. Like, mm-hmm. there, there'll be people in your way. There'll be roadblocks that um, will tell you you can't do this or you can't do that. Yeah. A lot of the time, people won't agree with your vision, yeah. but but it's very hard for them not to agree with your outcomes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just just stay true to what you think is right. Like, you know, get advice when when you need to, get approval when you need to. Um, but but sometimes, you know, like and and if you if you're not successful, does it does it matter? You've had a go. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and like and, and and putting that into kids, like you know, teachers teachers are probably nodding their head right now, going, "I tell kids that every day." Mm-hmm. But are the teachers doing it themselves? Yeah. Are they letting you know their their people, or well, not their people, but are they letting people around them dictate 
like what they do and how they how, how they. I think it's about that successful. leading by example and and setting up that benchmark for your students to almost go and emulate what they're seeing. And I think that's the that's the beauty of it here. They're, your kids are just gonna jump into this kind of stuff because it's almost like you've proven that it works. You've shown them how it works, and um, and they can just follow through. And for for them in ten years time, it's just gonna be an automatic process. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's one of the big things we're trying to do here, or I'm trying to do here as well is. Um, like teach the kids early. Uh, we, we, I've, I've bought enough printers to be able to put some in our year five and year six classrooms. Uh, and I, I've you know, said to some teachers down there, I don't, I don't really care what, what you do with them. Yeah. Um, but, but get the kids seeing it, get the kids understanding how it works. Yeah. That way when we get them in year seven and eight, they already know that part of it. And we, and we can do what we'd normally do in year nine and 10 yeah. in year seven and eight. And then yeah. nine and 10 becomes a growth year. And like by the time they're in senior, they're actually looking at going, well, hang on, like, I can adapt this technology. They're not learning the technology anymore. It's it's native to them by that stage. Yeah. Um, never never work in isolation. A, a lot of teachers work in isolation, especially in the design field. Um, there's not too many of us out there. Um, but you know the world is the world is more open than ever. And in fact, with COVID nineteen, it's actually more digitally open than ever. The the channels, the the people, the people that were never using computers or never using um, uh, these sort of platforms are now using them and now becoming proficient at it. Like reach out, talk to people. The connection we've got down at Brisbane Bayside, like, you know, we now have a resource that they might go, hey, do you reckon you can lend us five printers for this project we're doing for the next month? You know, and like I can pick these up, put them in the car, and did, and being three hundred dollars each, does does it really matter? Mm. You know, if they're, if they're six or seven thousand dollar printers, you you sit there scratching your face, going, I don't know, probably have to sign some paperwork, probably yeah. have to ask for lots of permission. But when they're a few hundred dollars each, like it, it's not that big of an issue. Absolutely. And I think that's brilliant. Now, one of the things that I always like to tie in with these episodes is, um, is one of my favorite topics is design thinking. Um, how integral has this been in this process to achieve this? In your point of view, has, uh, has that played a role? Um, the, the design aspect of, of the project was pretty limited, mm -hmm. uh, simply just because it, was, uh, it needed to fit within a particular box that was set for us. But the design thinking mindset definitely wasn't. Uh, there was there's problems galore this morning before you even got here I had two printers up on the desk up on blocks literally on blocks um, uh, adjusting a few things because they because they weren't printing right. right I've had to design um, you know different elements of the printers that uh, the were causing issues over time uh, different e bits of them where like for example like a you know a regular 3d printer that you'd use in a school you might use realistically an hour a day mm -hmm. uh, with students like like these printers have been running 24 hours a day for six weeks. So those little things that might wear over a year or two, they wore in a week or two, mm. you know, they were, they things, parts of it were just getting destroyed. And because of the volume as well, and that's the, you know, every day, like that first two weeks, every day I'd come in and there'd be, there'd be a big spaghetti spool of um, filament. I go, I wonder what's wrong with that machine, <laughs> you know, and then I'd have to figure out what was wrong with it. And then another one, it would be uh, binding up and I'd be like, ah, oh, something's going on there. And, uh, you know, you have to pull apart motherboards, you have to like get on Google, reach out to people in the community. Um, uh, a gentleman who lives in, uh, on the other side of Brisbane contacted us through our Facebook page and said, hey, can you send me the G code? Um, I want to start printing these as well. And we were trying to look, well, how's he connected to the college? He's, mm -hmm. he's commented on our college Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And we're looking up student last names. We're trying to figure out, is he an uncle? Is he a father? Is he, what is he? Um, I end up like I'm sitting there in the principal's office. I end up just like flicking through on Facebook, sent him a message, and said, "Hey, just wondering how you connected to the college." He goes, "Oh, I'm not. I just you know a friend shared the link to me." Wow. There you go. Um, and then I was like, "Yeah, cool. Here's the here's the G code." 
Um, next day, I had a problem with the printer, and I was like, "Hey, mate, do you got a um, do you have a spare hot end for a for a three D like for these printers?" He's like, "Yeah, I got two. I was like, "Do you mind if I come borrowed it? I've ordered Brilliant. them. Yeah, I've ordered them on eBay, but they're yeah. going to be two weeks away, yeah. and I just want to get this up and running again." So you know, drove over there, picked it up, come over, reset. He goes, "Oh, here's a here's a handful of nozzles and uh, some spare tube and." Like, and then him and I were sort of talking every other day going like, hey, look, um, if you turn infill off and then if you turn your wall thickness up, you'll actually get a faster, stronger print. Yeah. You know, and you're able to like play around with different settings and sort of bounce off people. Like, yeah. like that's the important part, you know? There's only, there's only so much knowledge that one person can have and, and, and knowing that you don't know everything is really important. And I think embracing that truthfully is what allows you to wholeheartedly approach people like that. And, and, and the beauty of it is people want to help. People want to collaborate. People want to get involved. And uh, most of the time, they're waiting for someone to almost put that hand out and reach out to them. So if you can do that, it, it makes really cool things happen like this. And, mm. I and I love that. So what's your advice for schools and universities listening in? Because I get um, a very diverse bunch of listeners. You know, st some people are from university. There's students in that. Then there's teachers listening in. And there's design professionals. I feel like there's something take, uh, there's a lot of takeaways from this story for all of those elements. Uh, what's your advice for schools and unis? Just just do it, just get into it. Just get into whatever you can. If you've got an interest, if you've got a, um, a resource available, if there's an industry close by to you, like uh, just, just find these different things. Um, like you can, you know, it's a very easy job if we just keep doing what we did last year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I no growth. Yeah, I often tell people I've never taught the same assignment twice. Yeah. Um, you know, and that there's, there's partial truths to that. Actually. Yeah, like, you know, like you, all, you always need to change it. And, and, you know, some teachers, unfortunately, walk in and want to, you know, like just dust off the uh, whatever it is and put it in front of the kids. And, um, and, you know, like the if you keep doing the same thing, you keep getting the same results. And, and you know, some people are happy with that. Mm. Um, personally, I'm, I'm, I, I don't subscribe to that mentality. Like that's, and I think that's part of the reason why I was probably hired. Love it, love it. And what about for the students listening in? Because there are a lot of design professional students, the ones that are going to be in the industry in the next you know, couple of years to the next 10 years. What's your advice for them? Push yourself. Work above what your teacher's asking you to do. Um, you know, like where curriculum in Australia and Queensland and the world is, uh, is probably, probably behind where it needs to be. You know, in 50 years, 100 years, we'll probably look back at this time and go, is that really the way we're teaching people? Yeah. Um, like the, the world's mindset is moving forward, but the you know the, the way that teaching happens is is slower to the um, to that to that forefront, I guess. Like like there are individual teachers doing doing amazing things, yeah. uh, but from a student's point of view, like you, you guys dictate the terms. Like, like if the teacher gives you an assignment, go hey look, you, you've asked for this, but can I do this? Yeah. Like can I do it this way? Can I hey that that printer? Do you mind if I like tell me what software you use so I can go home and learn it? You know, like, where do you think your teachers are learning most of this stuff? They're YouTubing it. They're Googling it. <laughs> you know, they're, all they're doing is just, uh, they're not recycling the information, but they are, they're digesting it and, like, mm -hmm. and, and, and showing it to you in a format you can understand. Take, take them out of the step. Like, yep. Uh, yep. you know, that's, that's, that's what I try to do with the kids. You know, I take the teacher out of the step um, with 3D printing, with laser cutting. Like, there is no point in a student process anymore where the student has to send me a file or, or put it into a, a communal machine. They, they have the software, they have the drivers, they, have the, they go straight to the printer, they go straight to the laser cutter. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and that that takes time. That takes you know, it's a it's a it's a change engine. But um, I think that's very powerful because you're essentially handing over the complete accountability to your students, and it puts in turn actually a lot of trust in them. It shows that you believe in them, trust in them to go and do what they need to do. And I think that's why it it takes them to that next level. So can, can I, really can like I share one little story? Absolutely. Uh, last year, it was my first year here. Um, I just assembled like you know we put together two printers. We're just about to use it with year tens. And the kids started using it. Um, we had a little trouble with the drivers and things like that. So they were having to uh, bring you the file or email you the file so that you could um, get it sliced and put onto the printer. Yeah. Um, and then two printers wasn't enough, so we assembled two more and then immediately they were used and then two more. Uh, and then I happened to be going on year seven camp. Now we did, a, we did an eight lesson unit with our year 10. So that's um, you know, a week and a half mm -hmm. of um, uh, a thing called compliant mechanisms. If you've ever seen Vitasium on uh, YouTube, like does this great thing. I, I watched the clip and I was like, emailed this straight to my uh, other design teacher. I'm like, I want to do something about this. Yep. Um, we took the idea of just a, you know, a simple binder clip. Mm -hmm. And we said, you know, this binder clip's got um, uh, three parts to it. Mm -hmm. a, a compliant mechanism is essentially going to do the same thing with a single part. Mm -hmm. uh, you should be able to extrude it is, yep. is, is kind of the key more or less the key mechanism. His example uses vice grips that have no pivots. Yeah. Um, so we set that task to the kids. They did divergent thinking, which they've done a couple of examples for previously. And they, um, I was like, cool. So you need to do a concept map. You need to do a full page of divergent sketching. Uh, we were using this, you know, folder page. I think it's eight times. You get like 16 boxes. Like that's how big a thumbnail sketch should be. Yeah. Flip it over and then you've got two big boxes to do like some convergent thinking. Mm -hmm. Straight into Inventor, model it up, get it on the printer. Mm -hmm. So here's, um, but we just got the, uh, the software up and running on the kids' laptops so they could, they could slice it themselves and get onto the printer. Mm -hmm. uh, my last lesson with them, I went, this is how you do it. You, you, you do this, I've sent you a profile that you can put into the slicer so you don't have to worry about all the settings. Mm -hmm. um, press slice, put it, on the, put it on, the, uh, on the SD card, plug it in and press print. What if it breaks? Like, what if it doesn't work? I don't know. Just, <laughs> just, just push it to the side and try again. Like, see if you can figure it out. Like, you know. This is, this is, you can adjust the bed this way, but, but you probably don't need to. Yeah. Um, I went on the year seven camp for three days and I said to my students, that was the last three days of term, I said, right, you've got your folders. I want your concept map, your, um, your divergent and convergent thinking sketches and your prototypes in your folder. Whatever is in your folder is what I mark. There's no, you know, next, next term, mm -hmm. if you have tech issues, not my problem. Mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got a class full of experts that will help you. Mm -hmm. Now I knew the supervising teacher is a, is a good guy, but, but He'll sit there and supervise the students. Yeah. Um, he, he, he probably didn't bring a lot of expertise to that area. Mm -hmm. So I knew it was all going to be on them. First day back in term four was a um, pupil free day. I come in, I started going through a marking. I got about halfway and I just sort of shook my head and I emailed the principal and emailed the dean of teaching and learning and asked them to come down to um, my first class with my students. And I walked into my first class with my students and said, um, so guys, like I got halfway through marking your assignments, uh, you know, your, your compliant mechanism assignment there. And I just didn't know what to do. I, I emailed the principal, emailed the dean of teaching and learning. Look, they're going to be down in five minutes to have a conversation with you guys. And they're all just got white in the face and looking at me <laughs> going like, what's going on? And I said, on, yeah. so I got, I got halfway through and I was just blown away with the work that you guys had done. I was pulling out two or three or four prototypes out of each folio. I saw these beautiful colored sketches, these concept maps that were just bursting at the scene with ideas and highlighted key points. And I said, like, I, I did not know how to celebrate your success well enough to the, to the level you guys deserve. You did this without me. That, yeah. that, is, that just absolutely, you know, just gives you like pins and needles yeah. to go, 
You did this without me. So I said, you got, you got five minutes, rearrange the room into a big O shape, mm -hmm. um, lay out, you know, lay out like a little showcase. Yep. And they brought, they, you know, they came down, they had a couple other people with them yep. and they walk around, they're asking the students like, like, wow, what's this? Oh, what's that? Like, and, and the, the diversity of solutions was amazing. Like, you know, there's like ones that clip around like this and they'd yep. made like living hinges and, and all these different sorts of things. And the kids were just like beaming going like, oh, I get to share my work, I get to show this stuff off, yep. you know? And I think that's the beauty of it. And, and it, I think goes back to even that little sentence you said when they were worried about failing, you know, what happens with that machine if, if something, and your, your mindset was, doesn't matter. Let's just figure it out. Let's, let's, let's find another way, right? And I think that little sentence would have instilled a lot of trust in them for them to almost take the free reins. Hey, we're, even if we mess up, have this slight failure, it's not the end of the world. No, we can, exactly. We can yeah. keep going. One of my best answers to when a kid says like, you know, what if this happens? I'm like, that's a really good question. And you just sort of stare at them and like you just, <laughs> you pause and you wait for them to go, yep. would I do this? And you're like, that's a possible solution. Mm -hmm. Like, and you just start, them to think. yeah, and you get this weird little smirk on your face and then you start to like, you know, yeah. you go, okay, well, let's figure it out together. What do you think we can do? Like yeah. what, what, you know, what, what does the problem actually do or mean or cause or, yeah. you know, like, is it, is it a big deal or a little deal? Like, you know, yeah. and, um, and getting them to sort of own that um, or conversely, send them away if they don't give you a, um, if they just bring you problems, you know, like, like uh, you conversation with kids for all the time. Like uh, it, it sounds like you're, you're listing a lot of problems and not many solutions. Mm. What do you mean? Oh, you're just telling me what's wrong. Like you're not telling me how to fix it. But you need to tell me how to fix it. Well, what makes you think <laughs> I know any better? It's your project. Like, like how about you? How about you go think of like three solutions, and then come and tell me the solutions, and I help you decide well, which is the best one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then and like I tell kids all the time, I'm a teacher because I don't know how to do anything. Like, like <laughs> I love that actually. Yeah. Like, if I was good at this stuff, I'd be uh, you know I'd be doing it for real. Like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like, I'm terrible at coming up with new ideas. Yeah. What I'm really good at though now, having been a teacher for 10 years, is being able to um, uh, grow other people's ideas. So if you come to me with a little, you know, a little seed, um, I'll, he I'll help you grow the seed, but, but I don't know where to get seeds from. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's that's why you guys, you know, you haven't had creativity beat out of you yet. Like. Yeah. Thanks so much, mate. And it's been a real pleasure. Yeah, no worries, Rashan. That's it for today, folks. So make sure you jump onto the Apple podcast and Spotify playlist and listen to this and share it with as many people as you possibly can because this kind of social story needs to reach as many people as possible. Now, lastly, before we leave, feel free to reach out to Daniel at Iona College and um, make sure you share your love and thoughts and even ideas on how you can potentially collaborate with them in future in this time of need. So before I go, Click that subscribe button and feel free to share your thoughts and uh, love on this topic for today. Mm -hmm.